Do you work to live or live to work? We look at the life of a digital nomad and let you decide if this is for you on today's episode of Tripcast 360. Hello and welcome to Tripcast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple Dave Cumberbatch. Uh, Dave, um, it's it's time to travel, man. We we got a new place, a new way to do go about working. Let's 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 figure this out with our guests. Yeah, and I'll tell you, from the beaches in the Caribbean to the splendor of Europe, countries have designed visa programs that encourage remote users to spend extended time in a new destination. After all, Michael, if you have to work remotely, why not choose from your bucket list if that is available? Dude, don't talk about my bucket list. My bucket list is extensive, <laughs> and, and, and it's getting lengthened by the day because we haven't been able to hit the road. But uh, I, I'm beginning to have second thoughts now about staying home so much. I saw this um, story on ABC News yesterday where they actually did a test of the air quality on an airline, uh, and they did it with United. And it was actually fascinating uh, showing how the air filters out and things like that. And they said that your issue isn't the plane itself. It's all the things that you can get COVID that takes getting onto the plane, like waiting in the waiting area and, you know, going through the security lines and things like that. And it's beginning to make me think because I live within a stone's throw of McCarran here in Las Vegas, and I see the planes going out of here every 30 seconds. So I'm beginning to and I know we're about to get hit with another wave of COVID, but I'm going to make some adjustments to my travel schedule coming up because it's time. And Michael, and I'll tell you, if I can travel private ear, that's the way to go. That's the way I'll go. Man, that's because you're rolling with them deep pockets. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, yeah. Uh, our, our guest today is in the Netherlands, and I suspect that's probably the first place you're going to be. So, um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's uh, let's get on with the show. And um, before I do. Um, I just want to go over the old show announcements that I do at the beginning of every show. You can catch our podcast at tripcast360.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please share, subscribe, and like us with your friends and family. And if you guys, if if you guys watch us or listen to us rather on iTunes, man, give us a five-star rating. Don't, don't waste your time with all them other stars and them, you know, one, two, or three. Now just give us a five-star rating. We really like doing this. We really like bringing these shows to you. And we also think we are doing a service that doesn't exist on any other podcast. So just give us a rating and and please encourage everybody to follow us. Yeah. And, and while you're at it, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe as Michael said. Now, let's jump into our guest because she does something that I would love to do. I can't wait. And I think I'm uh, going to pepper her with enough questions so that it encourages me to get off my ass and do this. Um, So uh, without further ado, our guest is Carrie DePhillips, a California-born digital nomad. She is the CEO of The Content Factory, a digital PR agency that specializes in SEO and social media marketing. She's also the co-founder of the Workationing and the Workationing podcast with the goal of being location independent in your work life. Carrie has been featured in Forbes, Adweek, Inc., and Entrepreneur Magazine, just to name a few. Thrive Gold, try that again, Thrive Global named her as a limit-breaking female founder, and NBC News referred to her as a CEO who takes job perks to the max due to the fact that all of the content factory employees work from home or wherever there's Wi-Fi. Glamour referred to Carrie as a digital nomad role model and has worked from over a dozen countries in the last year alone. Carrie, welcome to TripCast 360. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And now, before we get started, where the hell are you again? The I'm Netherlands. in Netherlands. You're where? Amsterdam. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> now uh, with COVID, it's like Amsterdam because this <laughs> wave is really—it's come through. All of the restaurants are closed. Uh, the famous coffee shops only available for takeout on that, that weed order. You can't sit in the coffee shop and smoke anymore. And, uh, right now everything, all of the, uh, coffee shops close at 8 PM and it is illegal to sell any alcohol of any kind, uh, past 8 PM. That's not so we've good. got some interesting lockdown rules over here. 
Wow. Are they working? Uh, to be determined. Uh, the new <laughs> rules just started the other day. Uh, I, I go to the coffee shop at like noon. I make sure and I get there in time. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you, Carrie, I looked up the definition of workation. Yes. And, it, and it's described as a working vacation where you go to an exotic location and complete specific tasks or accomplish a goal before you leave. Workationing isn't about a vacation from work at all. Isn't this a way of enjoying the best of both worlds? You, you're working and you're having a vacation at the same time? Yeah, so um, I have always worked from home and uh, occasionally I would have these big like work projects that needed to get done. Uh, tax time would do this to me and it would just like make me get the itch to slap that travel button. And so over like the course of starting my agency, uh, whenever I had like a big hairy goal or project to tackle, I would treat myself to let's say uh, two weeks in Mexico. Uh, and then I would give myself time to knock out that work. And I just made a deal with myself that like, you're there for enough time to get the, to get the project knocked out. Uh, you're in an exotic location. So although you're like really stressed and trudging through some shit that you don't want to do, like mm -hmm. right on the outside is a beach and a margarita. You just mm. need to get through, you know, enough of the project to stay on track. And so I was able to like, well, making these deals with myself and I would fly employees out too. Uh, one time we did a month in Puerto Rico and knocked out just a whole bunch of sales copy and new blog content and things that to this day are still driving leads in business to my agency. Uh, again, we just did it in Puerto Rico, because why not, if you can? And then in 2017, uh, my best friend and I decided to, on January 1st, 2017, we got on a plane and for a full year, we traveled the world and knocked out big hairy work goals and projects and made a podcast about it called the Workationing Podcast. And in each location, we knock out uh, like a, a work item. And then we also knock out bucket list items. So I've gone cage diving with sharks in South Africa. Uh, I flew a plane, which was pretty cool. Um, really swam in a bio bay in Puerto Rico, which was probably the most incredible experience with nature that I've ever had. And, you know, I did it all for cheaper than the cost of living when I was living in New Hampshire. Uh, if you select your locations, you can live in great places. Uh, if you select your location strategically, rather, you can end up in just truly baller penthouse suites in Medellin for less than you would pay in rent for an apartment in Cleveland, Ohio, mm -hmm. you know? And so if you can work from home, and a lot of people now are obviously forced to work from home, but I think that this is really a great thing uh, overall because it's going to show employers that work can still be done from home. And it's going to, I, I think, uh, really open up the world of remote work to a lot more people than would have otherwise been introduced to it and give them the opportunity to, again, if you can work from home, you can work from anywhere. Now, where do you want, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? You got one life, optimize it, you know? How does that work from a tax base? Because I know the United States, um, monies that you make overseas, you still have to report that, and then you still have to pay taxes to that local government, or do those governments make concessions for you? I mean, I, I'm not uh, a tax attorney, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> uh, for the for the year of 2017, um, I, I essentially still I had a PO box. I'm an American citizen. We were just you know traveling around and working, so I paid my regular U.S. taxes. Now I'm in a different situation because I have uh, like Workationing Incorporated as a company, which is how I got my Dutch visa. Uh, it's called the DAFT D-A-F-T visa, which is pretty easy to get actually, and. Um, and so I have to report all of that income to the US. Uh, but you don't get double taxed as long as you're making less than, I think it's $89,000 or something like that uh, per year in a different country. You don't get double taxed on that. You do get double taxed on the difference above that, but I don't know how many people are falling into that category. 
Uh, Dave, Dave, as you heard him talk about that private jet. I know. I, like, <laughs> is he bringing it to Amsterdam? Because I could use it too. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, the money he spends on gas is more than what you made last year. So uh, <laughs> I come from a creative community. You know, I, I spend a lot of years in Hollywood. As a matter of fact, I still do. And you said something uh, earlier about just getting the work done in a more relaxed environment. And I have found that like when I'm doing TV shows or film projects or things like that, uh, if we're not going into an office and let's say we're having, uh, I had a lot of meetings at coffee shops. Mm -hmm. I, had a lot of, I used to live in Redondo Beach. And so I'm, I'm one block from the ocean. So a lot of times uh, some of my uh, clients or, or future work coworkers would come over and we would go out to the beach with our laptops and sit there and work at a picnic table while we're watching the whales and the sharks migrate up and down the Pacific coast. There's something to be said for getting work done in a more relaxed atmosphere, provided you can concentrate on getting your job done. Because a lot of entrepreneurs who work from home, they get distracted. It happens to me all the time. Dave and I were just having this conversation. Well, it's all about self-discipline, right? And what I also find in shaking up my environment um, is it knocks, it knocks your habit loop out. So suddenly you're not doing the same because you can't do the same things over and over again. You know, whether it's like you go to the same coffee shop every day or whatnot, and that uh, sparks a lot of creativity for me. It scratches a different part of my brain that I, you know, don't usually use when you're like on the same set routine and you take the same path to work every day and you like get your croissants at the same bakery. Like it's just shaking all of that up, I think can be, has been really productive for me. Um, it, it's been beneficial to me, but I have just a screaming inbox. And I have 13 full-time employees who rely on me to make sure that I keep the business running. I've got a lot of weight on my shoulders and it's a responsibility that I take very seriously. And so like, uh, that's kind of the biggest barrier to entry or like the, the thing that keeps me on the straight and narrow when it comes to being productive while working in exotic locations. What tools do you need to be effective and how, how do you manage time zones? Uh, cool. It's great because I'm kind of a night owl anyway, and I'm six hours ahead of most of my team uh, on the East Coast. I've got clients and employees on the West Coast as well. Uh, so that's six and nine uh, hours difference, which means that like I get to sleep in until like 11 if I want to. <laughs> you know, that's a good deal for me. And then like nobody really wakes up until 2 p.m. my time. So my mornings are free. Um, I get to have like focused work time if I want to, uh, where nobody's emailing me, nobody's interrupting me. That's precious time for an entrepreneur. And it's hard to get unless you're six hours ahead. Uh, that often means like on a Friday, I don't get to go out with friends because I'm going to be working at least until 10 or 11 on Friday. Um, so there are some trade-offs, but like I, it's entirely worth it for me. Yeah. And managing time zones, especially with like tools like Zoom and whatnot, uh, it's not so difficult. Google, cal Google Calendar really makes it easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to back up for just a minute. And I want to know where you guys came up with workationing in the first place. What inspired you to come up with the concept, the idea, the, and then to go out and try it. I know you mentioned that January 1st, 2017 was when you kind of actually mm -hmm. executed, but what, yeah. what was sitting in the back of your head that says, we should try this. So there, there were a few things that kind of all came into play. Um, first of all, I was like 32 at the time. And I'm just like looking at all of the things. I didn't even have a passport until I was 30. And uh, I had always, like I said, worked from home. I was a freelance writer before I started the content factory. When I started the content factory, uh, everyone uh, was always able to work remotely because I wanted to source the best talent. And at the time I was based in Pittsburgh, the best talent is not necessarily in Pittsburgh. Right. And so by like expanding my talent pool to every, basically anywhere, I was able to get top tier writers uh, onto, my, onto my team and it's like really worked out well for me. 
But during that time, uh, I would regularly, like my family's in California, I would go spend like a couple weeks out there. I had conceptually tested, I told you like whenever I would get stressed, I'd be like, nah, let's go to an all-inclusive for a while and have somebody else cook all my meals. That's great, (laughs) you know? Um, I had tested it out a few times and I had even done a couple of workations with my team where I flew them out to Puerto Rico in one case and then most notably uh, Playa del Carmen. Uh, I had two employees out there and one of them was a very dear friend of mine. We'd known each other for like 10 years and she just happened to be working for me. And we were, it was at the end of the workation and we were like really satisfied with what we had done. And we were eating fish tacos on the beach and we just looked at each other and we were like, well, why can't we always do this? Like, I don't wanna, what am I going home to? You know, just like a a sad desk that I've been like looking at a wall for a very long time. Why am I doing this to myself? Like, that's a choice. I am actively choosing to not take advantage of this freedom and this lifestyle that I had purposefully built for myself. Well, why don't I just do that all the time? And uh, I didn't want to do it on my own because traveling the world as a single lady, people do it. So many ladies do it. There's a, a great Facebook group called Solo Female Traveler Network. And the photos and places that those brave ladies go just blows my mind. I wasn't gonna roll solo. And Kelly was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, we always had kind of like a good vibe, uh, great rapport, if you will. And we started the Workationing podcast kind of like on a whim to document it. Kelly had uh, previously hosted a podcast before, so she had experience, it was kind of her idea. And uh, workation is just kind of like a portmanteau of working vacation. And we put a definition on it and you know, secured the website, started recording those podcast episodes and you can hear us, like it wasn't an easy process. The first three episodes were just like panic attacks and like, <laughs> freakouts and uh, am I spiraling out of control? Cause like, it seems like our friends were giving us the side eye family didn't really under- understand what we were doing. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You're just going to like go travel the world for a year and you're going to work too. And I'm like, yeah, I, I got this, you know? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't easy. It was terrifying. Uh, but the second that we arrived in Puerto Rico was our first uh, destination. It just like felt so right. And we kept going for two years. Um, I'm still doing it. Kelly uh, got a new job. She's the director of marketing over at Fracture, which is a great company. And uh, she still travels, but not as much due to COVID. And the podcast is still going strong. Um, We didn't expect it to take off the way that it did, but we got so much media coverage early on that it, it drove a lot of listeners and we've got a great Facebook community and it's just a, it's been a really fun and rewarding project. What are some of the challenges that you faced initially? And um, what have you learned from those challenges? You know, I procrastinated on a lot of stuff because we had this plane date. Like that plane was leaving no matter what state my personal affairs were in at like six o'clock in the morning on January 1st. So like, what did that mean? Well, I had to like take in my car, find somebody to take over my lease. I had to like put all of my stuff into a 10 by 10 storage shed. That's not as easy as you'd think it would be. Plus it was winter in New Hampshire. So your girl was like rolling down the streets in a (laughs) U-Haul and there was just like snow everywhere. And I'm like, "Ah, I can't, there's no, you can't even see out the rear view window because there's none of that. It was terrifying. It was a, it was an empowering experience. Let me put it that way. (laughs) And uh, I did it. Um, But there was so much uh, like anxiety attached to it all. And uh, so like the thing that I struggled with the most was as a result of the anxiety, I put some stuff off and then suddenly it was New Year's Eve. And instead of like getting ready for a party, I was frantically trying to like organize everything in my shed and make sure that I had everything ready to go for the trip. And they say men are fearless. You're a fearless person. I try to be, you know, like, and, and really, like, w- what was that fear and anxiety for? Looking back, I, it's like laughable to me. But yeah. at the time, it just felt so heavy. It was like a panic attack every day, look, you know, stress look, puking twice look, a week. Look, <laughs> y- you lived in New Hampshire. I did too. 
And yeah. I lived in Northern Maine an additional four years in addition to my time in New Hampshire. If you can survive those two environments in January 1st, you got it. You're golden. Yeah, right? <laughs> if you can drive a U-Haul in it? Yeah, it, that's even worse. Uh, my, my, my dad wrecked, we had this beautiful Cadillac and uh, my dad wrecked it like about six months after we got to Maine. <laughs> he wrapped it around a tree because he just lost control. And I'm like, and that was a heavy car. It was one of them old school Cadillacs, you know, with the fin tail lights. I'm dating myself, but it was old and it was heavy. It was made of metal and he still lost control. So if you can survive that, you can do anything. One question I did want to ask you though, and this has happened to me. You know, Dave and I are both in the travel business, but a lot of times when I go on trips, whether they're press trips or whether they're workationing, I never called it that. I'm glad you coined that phrase. Um, I get places and a lot of times I have spotty internet access. When I was in Costa Rica a couple of years ago, I was trying mm -hmm. to work. My internet access stunk. When I was in, um, was it Puerto Vallarta? Same thing, internet mm -hmm. access stunk and it made it extremely difficult for somebody who probably spends two thirds of his time online to get any work done. Do you kind of preset some of your destinations based on the access you need to technology to make it work? A thousand percent. Hey, Carrie, I'll tell you before you answer, I just wanted to say to Michael, that's when you learn all the obscenities. Oh, I, I, <laughs> trust me, I learned a few. I was throwing things because I didn't check before I went. And, oh, yeah, see? And, yeah, I, and yeah, it yeah. was frustrating. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where you went wrong. <laughs> it was exactly where I went wrong. You know, I, can, I can point exactly on the doll to where you went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, was thinking, um, I was thinking more of the vacation side of it than the working side of it. Yeah, and listen, I, I love a rural hike. I, I plan to do the whole Machu Picchu thing and get my ayahuasca on in Peru. That's on the bucket list. It's going to happen. I've got it on a post-it, you know, so it's it's coming to fruition for sure. <laughs> but like when I do that, I've got to carve out probably two weeks where I'm just totally off the grid because I'm not counting on that Peruvian Wi-Fi and you got to hike through jungles. There's snakes. I don't think, I don't think the Wi-Fi is really going to be on point for too many Facebook lives. Let me put it that way. Right. So when we were initially looking for different places to stay, I have just a deep love in my heart for Puerto Rico particularly the western uh, side of the island. You'll make, Isabella, my girl, you'll make my girlfriend happy. She was raised in Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah, it, Isabella is just, and the community is so wonderful. And Crash Boat Beach is still like one of the top top three, I would say. That bio bay, you just can't, you can't beat it. Um, Puerto Rico actually has five of the world's seven bioluminescent bays. Wow. And you can go swimming in one of them. So like, I mean, Puerto Rico all day for me. So we, we chose Puerto Rico to start it because I was familiar with it. And like, it just felt like a good place, good vibes to kick off the workationing adventure. From there, we essentially looked at, well, where are the digital nomad hotspots? Because uh, if a lot of digital nomads are there, number one, the networking is probably pretty, pretty cool, right? Number two, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Wi-Fi is on fire because you're not going to get thousands of digital nomads you know, all congregated in one place, unless they're all able to work efficiently. Um, that's why like Medellin was the next place that we went to. Um, and you can easily like find out where the digital nomad hotspots are by searching Facebook groups. So if you type in digital nomad, um, insert city here, um, Chiang Mai has probably the largest digital nomad community. Speaking of time zones, that's all the way on the other side of the the way on the other side of the world and uh i i can't swing that like i'm happy to stay up working until two o'clock in the morning but i i spent right before covid i spent uh three weeks on a on a press trip uh the no-name guest house in goa was kind enough to sponsor our stay and uh that was i think 13 hours ahead of my team or like 11 hours. Mm. Oh, it was like and a half too. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a solid hour count. It was like, and now that, you got to tap that's on right. a 30. They're on that 30 minute split. Yeah. Which was confusing, even with Google, you know, trying to help me out. I was like, I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we opted to not go for Chiang Mai, but is like a pro tip. If you're looking for, you know, where are the places that you can easily integrate yourself with similar people doing doing your thing too, because uh, all of those uh, 
expat meetups or expat groups, but also digital nomad groups, those people are just looking to make friends and connections. And they regularly have meetups that you can go to and, you know, pretty easily integrate yourself socially with others in the area. And so that was something that we were considering um, as we were selecting locations. And also just we would make the, uh, the Airbnb person send us a screen or a photo of a Wi-Fi speed test. Oh, you're not lying to me. <laughs> Ooh, you like are not that. lying to me. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you have a business that's dependent upon technology and, and 13 other people depending on their income from you, yeah, you you can't uh, you can't pull that crap off without uh, uh, no. that. So I, I I wish I had done that, but honestly, like I said, I didn't think of the Wi-Fi. It, I don't know why I did this. I should know better given my extensive travel background. Technology is not the same everywhere yet. Um, yeah. I mean, we even have dead zones here in the United States still. So I, I should have just assumed when I went to Puerto Vallarta in Costa Rica, because we were out in the middle of nowhere in Costa Rica. So I, I, it just never, it never occurred to me until yeah. I got there. Yeah, I bet you saw all kinds of monkeys though. Oh, you know? God. <laughs> yeah. Outside of my window every morning, the monkeys were all playing in the trees. I got great photos and things like that. And you know, we got to the point where we started leaving an apple on the uh, patio uh, in the morning for the monkeys because the hotel was just giving them to us. And yeah, like, what do you eat 4,000 damn apples a day? Screw that. I just gave some of them to the monkeys. They'd come down <laughs> and grab them and go back to the tree. So it was actually cool. But yeah, I couldn't get any work done. And, you know, when you're sitting as a writer and as a producer and as, uh, you know, I wasn't doing this podcast yet, but having access to that technology and just being able to talk to people was, it was tough. And I, I, I will never make that mistake again. Um, with all that being said, how long are you going to keep vocationing? Is this a permanent thing for you or is this more, I'm going to do it yeah. for four or five years? See. Yeah, it's like a lifestyle. It's a mission. It's uh, like call to action, honestly, because, and it's not for everyone, right? But for the people who are wanting to travel the world and have created or want to create a life that supports that vis-a-vis -vis remote work. Um, I mean, I've packed more life experiences into a year than most people get in a lifetime. And I did it for less than the cost of living in the U.S. like a normal person, staring at blank walls all the time, you know? And so for us, and we consistently get this feedback from people. They didn't know that it was really an option. They didn't have a model for it, especially ladies of a certain age, you know? Like, what do you do when you're divorced and you work from home and you've got your own place and you're just like, mm, this is cool, but is it is it enough for me? Is it it for me? What else do I wanna do? And if the what else do I wanna do includes going to new places and seeing cool shit, then like bake that into your life experience. It's easier to do than you think, than like you might think. Um, and I think that more people should do it. Like people are envious of this lifestyle that I have. And it's like, why? You could have it too. It's just, you gotta go through all the panic attacks of putting your stuff in storage. But once you get through <laughs> that, it's a good time, you know? What are some of the challenges? And I'm, I'm answering this question simply because of an experience I had. So, uh, several years ago, I was, doing a, I, was at a, I was traveling to Guyana, South America. And I had a toothache. It was a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of used to being in New York that I just ran out to the little corner store and I can get some sort of painkiller. Yeah. The, pharma the, the pharmacy was closed on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can get another kind of painkiller. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I would imagine that there are some of those adjustments that, that, that you have to make. Traveling as a digital nomad. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about, you know, some of the folks in these other places and some of these other countries that you've been to? Uh, I like that question because it's a broad one. And I was like, well, here's five different ways you could answer it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, here's, I don't know if it's a misconception, but I'll tell you this. When we went to Medellin, uh, we stayed in the fanciest place. It was, we had the penthouse suite, uh, top floor, rooftop pool right above us. It was a corner suite that had floor to ceiling windows and overlooked just the most majestic views 
you've ever seen. And we were so high up that when storms would go through, we would be in the clouds and the lightning would be going. It was like wow, scary, trippy shit, but very cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we come to find out that, you, you know, not too many lady friends are traveling the way that we do. And especially in different cultures, Kelly and I, my, my travel companion and uh, vacation and co-host, uh, we were viewed different ways. And like, I think we look like lesbians to most people because why are friends like traveling and like living together? And, you know, we're not, no shame if we were, but uh, that is not very well received mm -hmm. in some cultures. And we got uh, like a lot of, I don't know. I, I We were just treated differently, I think, as a result of the fact that we were like, perceived by most people as lesbians. We certainly weren't sisters. We look nothing alike, you know? <laughs> but God, we can have a good conversation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so um, there was that aspect that was kind of like, well, I hadn't thought of that. You know, I that yeah. didn't even pop on my radar or something to, ooh, girl, watch out for that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but in addition, like ladies did, don't really ball out like we were balling out. And again, it was on a discount, you know, like it mm -hmm. was, the, the pricing was incredible. I think our, our place was around $2,000 a month. And again, mm -hmm. it was huge and very, 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 very fancy. But we were also in the same building that was like the sex tourist building of choice. And it was a bunch of digital nomads. It was a bunch of like, old white American dudes who would have these very young Colombian prostitutes up at the rooftop pool all the time. Mm -hmm. And they would just like go through them. And it was so sad. They have all these signs in the windows and yeah. the gra the graphic is actually very impactful. It's black background with hot pink and it's a stiletto heel stomping down on a flip flop. And it says, say no to the sex tourists. I do not believe that yeah. a lot of them were over the age of 18. Wow. One of them had braces and looked remarkably oh my like my, my niece. And it was, we cut our trip short uh, because after that, I was just like, I can't, there's not one more day that I can see a young girl coming up to go do unspeakable things to these filthy old men. I just like, I, it was, it became soul crushing. And uh, again, it's like legal. There's nothing we can do about it. The security guard at the building was letting them in. And when I was like, what is going on here? They were like, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so leave. And I was like, I'm going to do that then. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, Medellin's a beautiful place. And we had wonderful experiences there. But the, the prevalence of sex tourists and the just unapologetic, just nastiness that those types of people, um, bring it, it it can be overwhelming depending on where you stay and if you care about that kind of thing some people just don't care um how i'm not you, one of how could people. you not care that that's pathetic i'm i'm sorry i i didn't mean well to you know there's a lot of just, sex tourists right. in, out in chiang mai i think that that's, that's true like you look at these digital nomad hotspots and gosh darn it the venn diagram overlap of like availability of young sex workers and like hotspot destinations for digital nomads. And by the way, digital nomads are, it's a largely male industry. You know, you see like 10 to one on the, probably even more than that. Uh, it's more likely that men are digital nomads, right? So like, it's gross, Sad. you know, and it's sad. And I don't, there's nothing I can do about it, but it, like that, that overlap on the Venn diagram remarkable and when you travel to these places and you see the types of digital nomads and the the things that they do uh it's you know there are like good digital nomads and bad digital nomads just like there are good and bad people but like digital nomadry enables people to probably do things that they wouldn't otherwise do at home right <clears throat> And, and those do things that would make their, you know, embarrass their mother, really bring shame upon their family if they did it at home. But they're in a new location and it's legal and, you know. Those poor girls are ruined for life. Uh, you know, it's yeah. just, 
I, it makes my blood pressure boil. I mean, you know, I'm a grandfather. I've got two granddaughters and, and just the thought of one of them being caught up in that. I, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm a big guy. I would start hurting people. I just, yeah. it, it, it's not going to fly. I'm, yeah. Well, in the news stories, like not, not to be a total Debbie Downer, but you know, this stuff is still going on. This stuff is still actively happening. Uh, right after we left Medellin, there was a news report that came out and an investigative journalist had gone into the barrios and interviewed sex workers who were essentially sex slaves. They're not there because they want to be. And what happens is there uh, any kids that those sex workers have then become property of the cartel and those girls' virginities are sold pre-sold in advance to sex tourists at a very high price. And then they get them on heroin and keep them compliant. And it's just like, this is a thing that's happening now. And it's happening in, you know, some, dig- it's, it's closer than you might think. Um, and it's gross and it's something to watch out for, especially like, I don't know, it, it makes me as a woman traveling in these places feel less safe. Yeah. Right. You know, I hate to say this, and this is going to sound somewhat somewhat political, but we're not that far away from that here in the United States. Yep. Um, if you look at the nut job who just hung himself in the prison in New York uh, for messing around yep. with young girls. So, you know, in Columbia, by the way, I don't know if you remember this story from the news about four or five years ago when uh, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Remember her Secret Service agents and a couple of her bodyguards got in they trouble, got into trouble yeah. in Columbia for, th- for the very mm-hmm. thing that you're discussing. But I'm going to pivot to a more <laughs> lively conversation. Yeah, yeah let's, let's roll the dice on a subject change, huh? Yeah, <laughs> let, 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 let's split off from this one. Um, Talk to, me, talk to me about uh, language. I mean, you go to a different country and sometimes you always have to deal with language barriers if they're not English speaking con- uh, country. Um, I know Puerto Ricans are bilingual, most of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are some places like probably Colombia, maybe, you know, that aren't bilingual. How do you deal with that? Uh, I know enough Espanol to be dangerous. You know Spanglish. Like, yeah, it just, I do know, I'm not Spanglish. <laughs> Is on point. My my Espanol is still no bueno, you know. But I'm working on it. It's always a work in progress. But that was another reason why we chose uh, Medellin as the second location. Kelly knows more Spanish than I do. I know enough to order from a menu and you know do some basic things. Donde yeah. está mi pantalones? You know, I can, I can ask you where my pants are. <laughs> my, my 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 favorite question is Donde están los baños? <laughs> yeah. I can ask you where the bathroom is, but yep. like, you know, if you tell me left or right, I'm going to have to think about it for a minute. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we, we got along just fine in Puerto Rico and we got along reasonably well in, um, in uh, Medellin. Also, we went to Acapulco. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> we did, we did a month in Acapulco. We stayed actually, uh, uh, at John Wayne's old place, the Los Flamingos Hotel. He owned yep. it, and it was like where all the Hollywood people would hide out from the paparazzi. Mm-hmm. And there was all kinds of crazy stories there. And we stayed in Tarzan's uh, guest house. It was a fun experience. Um, but we utilized our language skills, or we like pick uh, locations based where we could talk to people. So Montreal, you know, there's a lot of French up there. My French is way worse than my Spanish, but uh, they all speak English too. Um, so that was a pretty comfortable place. And then once you get to Western Europe, uh, the Dutch all speak English. Um, Google Translate does wonders. You can type out a question and just show them the screen and then they'll type back to you. It's not fast there. You know, obviously it would be more efficient to learn the language, but if you're traveling yeah. a lot, it, it gets the job done just fine. Just make sure that you've got Wi-Fi and your phone is powered on. You just mentioned Colombia. Tell us about the time when you went to that restaurant and um, the waiter thought that your money was conked to feet. <laughs> what was that experience like? Oh, it, no, no, no. <laughs> we were constantly running into issues with money in Colombia because I never wanted to carry that much cash. Um, we were constantly being warned that we were like just prime targets to be robbed. And uh, so when we would take out cash, we'd take out like, but sometimes it would spit out big bills. And we'd leave like most of the cash at home. Finding an ATM was a real challenge sometimes. So like cash was constantly an issue and our cards were constantly being declined or they just didn't take cards 
in a lot of places. A lot of places were just cash only. So we went to this restaurant and uh, didn't have enough cash to pay the bill. So we called our friend Santiago, thank God for friends. He came over and all he had were large bills. And it was like a you know, $10 meal that he was trying to pay for like with a $100 bill or the equivalent of it. And they didn't want to take it and he didn't have any smaller bills. And they were like, this is counterfeit. And we were like, I assure you, it just came out of an ATM. <laughs> like, please just take my money <laughs> so I can leave. I'm starting to feel like I'm, I'm being held hostage. But eventually they took the money and we were able to, to get out. But it was an uncomfortable situation there for a minute. So you weren't arrested. No, <laughs> knock on wood. I haven't been arrested yet. You know, that's pretty bad. when You got to beg people to uh, uh, take your money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, do I look like a counterfeiter to you? I don't have those skills. Do you need SEO? Do you need PR lady? I can work that. But, like... <laughs> but, but Michael, you were saying it's pretty sad when you have to beg someone to take your money. I remember several years ago, I was traveling in one of those black taxis in London. And I, um, I wanted to pay the guy with American money. I wasn't thinking. The guy, right. the guy was like, what the F are you giving me this for? <laughs> he, drove me, he drove me to an ATM. I had to go to an ATM to get money to pay him in the local currency. Because at that time, the, the sterling was valued more than the US dollar. It still yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. It still is. <laughs> I mean, but, it, but, but the, guy didn't, the guy didn't mix his words. He was letting me have it, man. Yeah. Uh, Carrie, have, have you seen the, uh, since COVID, this uh, proliferation in certain countries offering uh, uh, visas to people who will come and work in their country for a year? Uh, I guess it's a spinoff of, uh, of vacationing. Yeah. You know, Barbados, yeah. Barbados, which is Dave's home country, was one of the early adopters of this. And uh, I know we're getting ready to do a piece on Anguilla. They're doing it now. And there's several places around the Caribbean in particular, but other destinations as well who have got this idea. But their idea wasn't born out of what you did. Their idea was born out of necessity. We're, we lost all this tourism revenue and we got to get people here. Maybe this is a way to do it. Yeah. No, I, I, I have seen an increase of that. Uh, the reality is a lot of countries already had or have these uh, like long-term visas that you can get. Anybody can dip out to Europe and stay here for three months if you want to. And then you go on what's called a visa run and you just go somewhere else for three months and then you can come back if you want to. Um, but like for a year long stay, I, I think some of those countries already had those. It's just now they're promoting them. And in some cases they're offering like tax benefits or some, some other type of, of benefit if you qualify. But like visa issues, um, if you're not super tied to a location, shouldn't like that's not going to be an issue for you. Right. Um, I'm glad to see more of these countries opening up to remote workers. I, you know, digital nomads. I hope that they have a positive experience um, through that. Certainly, I know, you know, I was dropping a lot of money in the neighborhoods I was living in. Mm eating out every day. It's a, we, I think we have to be good or digital nomads have to be good for like the tourism economy and whatnot, restaurants and whatnot. So happy to spread that money around to, you know, different people, different countries, yeah. especially if they have great beaches. Why not? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Visa Run, one of my really good friends uh, is a private hedge fund manager. His home base is Toronto, but he... Uh, he gets sick of the Canadian winters and he was always traveling because, you know, as long as you can get access to the stock market via technology, he was able yep. to do his trading and stuff. So he was like, I know he spent six months in Singapore. He spent a couple months in Hong Kong. He spent some time in Japan. He spent some time in the Bahamas of all places. He was just going around and every time his visa got ready, he just did another visa run. What type of careers of the digital nomads, what, what, what are they primarily working in that you've been able to see so far? I know what you do, but uh, are there some other careers that lend themselves to digital nomadism, if you will? Sure. Um, basically anything you can do at an agency, you can do anywhere. So uh, whether that's writing, whether that's graphic design, whether that's PR stuff, whether that's social media marketing, whether that's, uh, you know, becoming a virtual assistant, like a lot of people are getting into digital nomadry through being a VA 
and then they like build up their skill sets and then eventually start their own agencies after they've you know gotten some wins under their belt and whatnot. Um, I know some lawyers who are digital nomads, but that's tougher, I think. Um, I've seen programmers, anything in the tech space, essentially. Um, yeah, anything that you don't need to physically do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, Grocery I- stalkers, they're, they're going to need to find another line of business to go digital nomad. retail store employees that's going to be you know hard to do traveling as a digital nomad being an american you were born in california do you feel a sense of responsibility in terms of being an ambassador for your country in terms of your behavior how you react to folks yes i definitely try and keep my karma straight uh you know and i work to keep it in the positive no matter where i go it's incredibly heartbreaking and discouraging though to because digital nomads especially in places like medellin have a bad name and the locals don't like them they want them to gtfo and stop you know ruining their daughters uh and so to come in that environment and see like what the average digital nomad was up to in that particular city um, like, how can you be an ambassador for good with that? There's nothing that I was going to do that was going to be like, well, not all of us, you know, like it just, um, but to answer your question, yes, I do feel a sense of responsibility to be a good ambassador, not just for digital nomads, but for like Americans too, because Americans do not have a good name around the world right now. Uh, we're not beloved. We haven't been for a long time, but especially lately. Um, and I, I see that out here in the Netherlands quite a bit. And so like the baseline assumption that I have is that people don't want to like me and it's on me to be good enough to them to like kind of shift that perception for me, if not for all, you know, Americans. Yeah. I, I, I've caught myself in that environment. I spent, uh, because of my dad's military career, you know, I spent some early childhood years in Madrid. Um, the smartest thing my dad ever did was, um, have us live in the city instead of on the air force base so i got indoctrinated into spanish culture and and i remember how welcoming the spaniards were to us uh they loved americans now when i travel i have to deal with the specter of the ugly american because too many many americans go to these foreign countries and bring their american arrogance with them and Mm -hmm. every time i see an american who does something like that i just want to reach up and knock the shit out of them yeah, you're a guest in their country. Act like it. This is not, you know, these people live here 24 seven, you're supposed to adapt to their culture, not the other way around. And if I have to scream that from the mountaintops, uh, I do. And Dave's heard me say this, I've mentioned this very subject. I have mentioned on so many podcasts about Americans going to other countries and acting arrogant. It pisses yep. me off. You know, actually, I've got a great story about that that just happened night before last. So I'm like minding my own business. It's like midnight. I'm still working. I've got employee calls still. And I hear these kids outside kids. I don't know. They're like in their mid twenties or something. (laughs) Now I'm dating myself, you know, (laughs) these kids. And uh, they're drinking a bottle of vodka because all of the bars are closed down. So they're taken to the streets these days. And uh, they're being so loud, playing the worst music ever. And uh, it, it was kind of like, it was just too much. So I opened up the window and they were American, of course. It's three Americans in Amsterdam pissing outside of my window and drinking vodka from the bottle. So like, but I was like, you, you guys are really, really embarrassing me as an American. Take it elsewhere. And they apologized. I shouldn't have to tell people how to act, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you know, they, they, they have no respect for anything. I mean, they, they, those guys who did that there would do that here in the United States as well. And it's the, the idea that you can just have no respect for a place. It's just to me, I, I liken it to people who throw garbage out of their car windows and leave it on the side of the road for somebody else to pick up. Yep. Or, or my neighbors who walk around here all day long and, and they take their dogs out to do their business all over the street and then they just leave it there. That yep. just like, you know, but unfortunately there are too many Americans who go to these other countries and think that they can do what they do in America. Right, please. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't right in America and it sure as hell isn't right over there. That's right. Now, you know, I, I wish I could do a cultural education class for some people, but you know what? Sometimes you just can't beat the arrogance out of people. It just, you know, 
you know, there, there are too many Americans who think they're better than the rest of the world. And we're not. And we no, have, no, and in all kinds of like, certainly not an in infant mortality, not in the percentage of the population that's incarcerated. We're just yeah, American, America's not number well, one. Well, <laughs> I can go down the list. Education level, yeah. uh, 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 the uh, the uh, income inequality, yeah. health care. I mean, I could just, technology, I can go mm -hmm. down the list of all the things, but we're nowhere near the top. And uh, Americans need to understand that. But yeah, I, I can go on a tangent on this for another yeah. year. Um, okay, you've gone to all these fantastic places. Where are some places you want to go? Your bucket list. Dave asked me about my bucket list earlier. I like I'm old, but I want to know yours because you're a hell of a lot <laughs> younger than we are. <laughs> well, my Botox and fillers keep me looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Now that's spoken like a California girl. Yeah, right. You just said, I'll, I'll send your compliments to my doctor. <laughs> uh, Peru. I, gotta, I really got to do that Machu Picchu thing. I am two continents away from stepping foot on all seven. So Australia and Antarctica. I'm gonna do Antarctica last, get there via a cruise ship probably. Um, but those are, those are, I guess the top three. Um, I wanna go up to Norway and see the Northern Lights. I've always wanted to do like a stint in Alaska. Just like maybe two months in Alaska. That could be cool. Yeah, just be careful what time of year you go. Investor. Yeah, you, I'm going to check that weather forecast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Carrie, that's that's on your bucket list. How about the places that 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 you've traveled? What's what's your uh, favorite destination, and what destination you don't care to go back? Uh, you won't catch me in Acapulco again, uh, ever. You couldn't pay me to go to Acapulco. There's a conference in Acapulco, and they were like, "Do you want to come speak?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm good." Uh uh. No, thank you. Um, the La Praguera Bio Bay in Puerto Rico is uh, an absolute must-see. It's the best of its kind in the world. Uh, again, you can go swimming in it. And uh, just I, I cannot recommend that experience highly enough. You're just never going to slap your eyes on anything quite like that. Um, South Africa was incredible the franchoic wine district like napa valley wishes napa valley wishes it could <laughs> it's oh south african wine please and uh the restaurants up there it's just like like i said it's like a napa valley on the best kind of crack times 10. um and the the scenery the people of south africa i really uh enjoyed the food was great uh, i like to eat my way through different countries, so like, <laughs> food is really important. Uh, in South Africa, it really has it has it all going on. Um, I love the Netherlands. Uh, I love it so much that I got a, created a company and got a visa to stay here. Um, it looks like something out of a storybook. Yeah. The uh, just average level of health and like what people find to be acceptable is very high out here. You know. You don't see a lot of ladies walking around in yoga pants. People aren't wearing sweatpants to go grocery shopping. If you do, that's like, are you sick? Because that's embarrassing. Okay. You know, it's just that the haircuts are perfect. They all ride their bikes everywhere. It's just a very interesting culture that very much has its shit together. COVID notwithstanding, they're kind of like, they're, they're, they're missing the mark there so far. But um as a whole, I, yeah, Dutch living is great. Plus Amsterdam is a central location. We've got like one of the biggest airports. You can go anywhere from here and it's not that far. Um, I spent six months in Turkey last year in Antalya, Turkey, which is gorgeous. And uh, that's like a three hour flight, different continent, totally different scenery. Um, great value on deals out there in Turkey. Uh, I'll tell you, Turkey is one of my favorite places too. Wow, I, I've actually heard that a lot from some a lot of people. They actually love Turkey. Um, yeah, I, I had a chance to go there when I was in the military, and something derailed my plans, and I wanted to go, and I've never been. I wanted to go back, and um, so yeah, I'm I'm going to. 
like I said, my, my uh, nomadic hat is about to be put back on. Um, I, I'm starting to get, I think what I'll do is probably wait till after this new wave passes us by, which I suspect is going to happen this winter. But yeah, I, I'm to the point now where I'm willing to risk going out again a little bit, uh, if, as long as it's targeted to places that yeah. I know are actually taking this seriously, because, you know, I, I've got to keep in mind that I can't hug my grandchildren if I'm sick. Um, well, and, and Turkey is one of the few places that Americans can go right now. Yes. And yeah. like go hungry because the food there is excellent. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of cool stuff to see. Cappadocia is there. Uh, Papa Google on C-A-P-P-A-C-A-D-O-C-I-A, Cappadocia, Turkey. Got it. Uh, they have these hot air balloons over a desert and it's like hundreds of hot air balloons over the most incredible scenery you've ever seen. And that's just a place and they do that all the time. You can go there and have that hot air balloon experience for not much money. It's kind of in a remote location. Well, it's definitely in a remote location. You're like driving for five hours from Montalia to get there, but it's worth doing. Um, Turkey in general is a great place. And yeah, Dave and I have a mutual friend who just got back from Turkey last week. And one of the pictures he posted on Facebook with the balloons. I didn't know where it was though. Now you just clarified that for me. Yeah, that's bucket list worthy for sure. And uh, most of the people speak English. Right. Like you can, it, I found it very easy to communicate. You have mentioned several times in this conversation, the ability to live cheaper in some of these places. You're a geographic arbitrage. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, Dave lives in New York city uh, or out on Long Island close enough. And the cost of living there is through the roof. You know, I'm, I live in California. Most of the time, the cost of living in California is through the roof. And uh, I, I know when we lived in Spain, we were paying like pennies to live there in, in more opulence than what we had in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Medellin was a, you know, significantly cheaper for you. I know where you are is significantly cheaper. Um, are you finding that as a common thread for digital nomads to not only be able to experience the rest of the world, but look for it in a, in a way that makes financial sense to them so that they're comfortable and, and they can do things that maybe they couldn't do in New York or California because they just ran sure. out of money. That's a thousand percent. And I think that like, uh, adding to another circle to that Venn diagram of what digital nomads like cheap cost of living and like cool location, whether it's a beach or it's usually a beach. Um, it's definitely attractive. Uh, Amsterdam is not the cheapest place. Amsterdam is probably the most expensive place I've ever lived. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's worth it to me and I'm, you know, in a position to, to make it happen. But for like a thousand dollars a month, you can, get rent, you can eat, you can do things, you can, you can really ball out on a budget mm-hmm. in a ton of different countries. It just, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What kind of experience do you want to have? Do you speak more Spanish and maybe start in a Latin American country? Great beaches, cool right. people, excellent food, you know, go give it a go. Right. Okay, now you're making me jealous. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of local transportation, we in America spend an awful lot of money on cars and maintaining yep. cars and transportation costs that we we take for granted because we've just been doing it our entire lives. How are you getting around in Amsterdam? What's your primary mode of transportation? Uh, I have a Valoretti bicycle. It's got a basket on the front that I put my groceries in. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, it's it's hardcore Amsterdam. Uh, and I don't miss having a car actually. Uh, it, it's weird how much I don't miss having a car. And if I want to, I can just go rent one. I've got an international driver's license. I can do it. Nothing's stopping me, you know? Um, so yeah, I, not having a car in the insurance and also just like the low level stress of, I used to, I'm great at catastrophizing, you know? So like, I just bar none on catastrophizing. So like driving a car, it's like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Obviously you kill somebody. So to like not have that low level stress every time that I drive, that I'm taking my life and lives of others into my hands. It's, you know, I didn't know how heavily that was weighing on me until I didn't have it anymore. I'm, I'm not gonna break anything significant on a bike. No. Maybe a let, you know, but like, I'm not going to do too much damage to anybody else. And it's like a, 
and it's more environmentally friendly. Plus you're getting that, plus you're getting that physical exercise that we all need anyhow. Yeah, when it's raining, it's real shitty. You know, really <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, sometimes it, you still it, have to bike in it, you know, and it gets in your face. Your hair doesn't look good. You're not. That's just a give up there. You know, it, <laughs> it, 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 it was funny. Uh, we were in Alaska five years ago on a cruise. And I remember we got off the cruise ship and we were walking and I heard four ladies from Amsterdam behind us. And the first thing they were talking about Americans, he said, how come all these Americans are so fat? And I, thought, <laughs> I, I mean, I literally, I started laughing. So my girlfriend did too. We were just busted up laughing because I knew where she was coming from. And yeah. it's because, you know, we don't exercise. We don't walk anywhere. If you're in Europe, you're walking everywhere or you're bicycling or, yeah. you, you know, you're doing something. Even in New York City, people walk. Not out here. I mean, you're, no. in a car <laughs> you're in a car 24 seven out here. Yeah. And, you know, the sedentary lifestyle, there, there's something to be said, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Europeans actually live longer than us too. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot Listen, of because people they're in Nebraska, people in Nebraska aren't really walking anywhere. You no. were <laughs> to walk too. <laughs> It'll take a long time to get there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually don't miss, um, I mean, I, I don't drive a lot anymore, um, not because I don't want to. I mean, I, I, you know, I have to drive to California next week to visit my son. It's a four-hour car ride. But I, I didn't realize until I left California and moved to Vegas how much stress there is in driving a car, and especially mm -hmm. in Los Angeles traffic. Yep. You don't realize, like, it's like this big exhale, like, ugh. You know, it's like relaxing not to have to sit there and because when you're in a car in L.A., you, you have it's intense focus. Yeah, no, high alert. Yeah, it, yeah. it really is. And, and I can't describe it to people unless you like live in New York or unless you live in the Beltway around Washington, D.C. or like you live in Houston and I've lived in all the places I just mentioned. <laughs> it's intense how much time you have to really focus on travel and, you know, worrying about this car darting in front of you. I remember the first time I got to California. And I was driving on somebody's freeway and a motorcycle went between the cars. Yeah. And that's legal. And it's you legal. You can split those lanes. Right. And in San Antonio, where I came from before I moved to, to uh, uh, Los Angeles, that was illegal. And mm -hmm. I almost killed this guy. I literally was changing lanes. I had my signal on. I was changing lanes. And this guy comes blowing right between us on the 405 freeway where, you know, traffic's going 80 miles an hour. And you just don't understand it. So this thing with digital nomadism, I, I, I've been tempted to try it. And, um, you know, I do have, a, I, I have a, a, a career that allows me to do that. We can do this podcast anywhere. Yeah, I can exactly. Do my, I can do my screenplays anywhere and then just be in LA when it's time to film and then go. Yeah. You know, uh, so it, it's something I want to try, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on. But we also wanted to you to share the lifestyle and, and let people know this is doable if you have the right career. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's so doable. It is embarrassingly doable. Mm -hmm. And um, just to add to like the overall lifestyle and we were talking about traffic and and whatnot, I actually ran the math on this. And on average, my team and I, each person, saves over 500 hours a year by not getting ready to do a job that we are already ready to do. Like as a woman going into a, an advertising office, because I used to work in advertising, it would take me at least an hour to get like presentable ready, right? Hair, makeup, I'm wearing heels. And then I got to commute to the office, pay the privilege of pay like $240 for the privilege of parking downtown uh, <laughs> to essentially do work that I could have, I, I became incredibly resentful of that actually, because it was so much time. It's like, especially unfair to women. This is unpaid labor that's eating up our time. Um, I showed up to this podcast, no makeup, you know, it, <laughs> I think I'm doing okay. I didn't need to get, I need, I didn't need to spend time uh, again, of unpaid labor to get fancy to do something that I'm already able to do. So there's that. But the the time savings, what could you do with an extra 500 hours every year that you give yourself back when you're when you're working from home or is an employer that you give to your employees? It became a key selling uh, factor for the content factory and acquiring new talent. 
because they knew I was never going to make them go to an office. And uh, I was able to, you know, again, acquire talent that I wouldn't have been able to attract otherwise because I'm offering the same lifestyle to my employees. And they use it in all kinds of different ways. You know, I've got like moms who spend more time with their kids and save on healthcare. I've got a legit rock star on staff who is a touring musician and he gets to, you know, have a day job while he also travels the world and plays music. That's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. like if you consider the opportunities that become available for lifestyle optimization and also just like optimization of having the coolest and most experiences possible before we all inevitably kick that bucket. Uh, it's why I'm such an evangelist for remote work in general, but then specifically digital nomadry, give it a try, do it for a month, see how you like it. Cause that's how I started. I didn't just start jumping into, I'm a full-time digital nomad and I don't know where I'm going to live next month. Um, you can kind of test the waters and see, are you able to be productive? What are the barriers to productivity? How can you work on that in the future? You know, maybe you don't like it. Some people yeah. just don't, that's okay. But I, I would highly recommend that if you can, that you give it a shot. On a personal level though, Carrie, do you ever get lonely? Do you ever miss your friends and family back home? I mean, I travel to see them too. They okay. come out and visit Good. me. Good, good. Uh, friends uh, are happy to come on workation, even yeah. if it's just for a week. Uh, like I said, I've got this home base in Amsterdam now. So yeah. anybody wants a cheap place to stay and by cheap, I mean free. It's my pull-out couch. You're welcome to it, you know? All right, I'm coming. I'm next. Okay. You're going to leave Michael in the desert, you know, so he can, so, so he can cut the cactus and, you know, that, that type of stuff. Damn desert. Yeah, just bring your private plane and then we can hit Turkey afterwards. You know what? You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah uh, you, 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 you may have to put the gas on your... <laughs> yeah, you, you may have to put the gas on your credit card for that plane. I'm just warning you now. <laughs> you know, a yacht is an option. I've always Ooh. wanted to throw a yacht party. Ooh, I never thought about Specifically a that. yacht prom. Because who wouldn't want to have an adult prom on a yacht? Yeah, you see? You see that? You're putting some, you're putting some ideas here. You're laying the yeah. ideas out right here. That's good. No, I, I've got that. I've got that uh, on lineup for my 40th birthday. Ah, It'll be a 40th okay. birthday yacht prom. Mm. Okay. Speaking of I'll yachts, send you an <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we we may be able to speed this process up. My girlfriend's from Valencia, Spain, um, and you know, taking a, a cruise over to Ibiza and the other two islands out there is not that far fetched. And I bet you she knows somebody who's got a yacht we can use. Yeah, I bet. You know, I've always wanted to take a pill, uh, take a pill in Ibiza. He <laughs> said it was cool, so let's just go do that. <laughs> yeah, as, long, as long as you like watching a bunch of drunk, naked Spaniards are in good shape. <laughs> yeah, I've seen worse things, I'm sure. I, and I'm in. <laughs> Carrie, thank you for appearing on our show today. And please come back. I'd love you. To read more about Carrie and her business, you can find her at the Content Factory and on the Workation in Podcasts. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And thanks for listening. And be sure to visit us at tripcast360.com to join the conversation and discover other fantastic episodes. Until next time, for Michael, this is Dave. Thank you for listening now. Mm -hmm.